0: 1950s Science Fiction Podcast, Season 4, Episode 3, Radio Drama Review, X-1. Hello and welcome to the 1950s Science Fiction Podcast, Season 4, Episode 3. Today, I will be discussing two episodes from the classic science fiction radio drama, X-1. This show aired on NBC during the late 50s, before it was discontinued. It was a reboot of an earlier radio drama called Dimension X which I pre- previously dis- discussed in one of my earliest articles on vocal media. X-1 was one of the few radio dramas that focuses solely on science fiction and not on other genres, such as horror and mystery. The first story, Gun for a Dinosaur, by El Sprang de Camp, deals with time travel and big-game hunting. It was first published in Galaxy Science Fiction magazine. The second story, Hallucination Orbit by J.G. McIntosh, is about a station keeper who is isolated on a distant moon and waiting to be rescued rescued before going mentally ill. It was also published in Galaxy Science Fiction magazine. A Gun for a Dinosaur. The story, A Gun for a Dinosaur, was first published in Galaxy March 1956 issue. During the same month, an episode of the same title was broadcasted on X-1. The story follows the protagonist, Reg- Reginald Rivers, who is a time-traveling safari manager. Rivers tells the story from his previous expedition where he paid a university to allow his team to travel back in time to various prehistoric periods known for dinosaurs. In the setting of the story, time travel has become a reality and is used for commercial purposes. The rentals for the time machine help the university that owns it to defray its cost. Rivers explains to a client how important it is to use your body weight to determine what caliber of weapon you will use for the ex- expedition. It is at this point he tells his client about a previous expedition that had gone wrong because the client had the wrong weapon to use. That would later prove to be disastrous. Rivers takes on two clients for a trip to hunt, for dinosaurs during one of the prehistoric eras. One client is a very lightweight person who is given a high light caliber weapon by Rivers after it's determined he can handle a heavier rifle. The other client is a wealthy individual who has a hot temper which would also prove to be harmful later on as well. The two clients who embarked on this venture were August Hosinger and Courtney James. Hosinger was a wealthy man while James was a playboy type who was also very rich. They were accompanied by a guide and partner to Rivers named Chandra Oliver. All four men used a time machine rented from the university to travel back in time to hunt for dinosaurs. However, things started to go almost wrong almost immediately. After they had arrived at their destination, as they were searching for good prey, James would recklessly fire his weapon and ruin every chance every chance he got, and thus ruining any chances for hodginger to have a good shot. During the expedition, James repeatedly fired his weapon at the prey earlier than he should have, much to the displeasure of Rivers. Rivers cautioned James that this was not only dangerous, but also unsportsmanlike. Unfortunately, James disregarded Rivers' advice and continued to fire his weapon at the prey on his own whim. One time, James fired his weapon at a group of prey. and the second, the sound woke up a T-Rex dinosaur. James didn't have enough bullets to stop the rampaging dinosaur, and unfortunately, Hosinger was killed while trying to shoot the dinosaur with his gun. Rivers and his guide searched for Hosinger's body but couldn't find it the surviving three men went back to their camp to wait for their time machine to return. While waiting, Rivers got into a heated argument with James, which led to a physical altercation. After the fight was over, James swore that he would kill Rivers sometime and somewhere. Rivers wasn't the least bit frightened because he had faced many dangerous situations before. Once the threat is made, all men return to the present. When they arrive back in the present time, Rivers parts his ways with James. Both James and his partner Chandler wonder what James will do next. They decide to head back to the university to see if he went back in time to alter history. Rivers knows that there are certain rules the university enforces about time travel. Rivers speculates that James may have decided to go back and take the time machine back in time just before they first left. He believes that James may try to kill both him and Chandler while they are separated during the hunt. However, Rivers is not too concerned because both of them are still in the present time. So they return to the university's time machine and talk to its attendant. The attendant says that he allowed James to return to the past and to retrieve some lost items. Surely the time machine returns to the present and the hatch is opened by the attendant. When he looks inside, he finds the mangled body of James, who is dead and upon arrival. Plan to go back in time and murder Rivers didn't succeed due to due to a paradox in time. My thoughts: I listened to a radio drama presented by X minus one and thoroughly enjoyed it. The story is well written and action packed. Although I haven't read the short, original short story, it seems like a must read for any sci-fi fan who loves time travel and prehistoric eras. A Gun for a Dinosaur is the first in a series of short stories called The River of Time. By the author. The story was nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Novelette in 1956, but unfortunately lost to Exploration Team by Murray Leinster. The entire episode can be found on the internet at, inter- at archive.org or through a YouTube search. For now, I have provided a three minute sound bite of the episode, which includes a thrilling X 1 intro.
1: And now stay tuned for X 1 on NBC.
2: Tonight's story, A Gun for Dinosaur, by L. Sprague de Camp. Just whiskey, please. No soda. Ice, Mr. Rivers? (laughs) Good heavens, no. I have been in America for some time, but not that long. Well... To a fine dinosaur head. well now uh, just a moment mr seligman i won't take you hunting late mesozoic dinosaur why not how much do you weigh about nine stone 130 pounds yeah i thought so it's not heavy enough but your advertisement you said safaris arranged to any time well period. i'll take you to any period in the cenozoic i'll get you a shot at any intellidont or even mammoth or mastodon or they have fine heads but I'll jolly well not take you to the Jurassic or the Cretaceous. You're just too small. But what's my weight got to do with it? Uh, look here, old boy. What did you think you were going to shoot those dinosaurs with? Well, I... Uh, well, look uh, over I... here in this case. That's my own gun, a Continental 600. That shoots a pair of Nitro Express cartridges the size of bananas. It's designed for knocking down elephant, not just wounding them, but knocking them base over apex. Well, now, I've handled guns. Huh? No. Look, I've been... Guiding hunting parties for over twenty years. But I've never known a man your size who could handle a six naught It knocks him over. Well, people have killed elephant with lighter guns, even a three seventy five. Ah, yes, but consider an elephant weighs well, let's say from four to six ton.
0: Hallucination orbit. Hallucination orbit is a fascinating X-1 episode that was broadcasted on May the 15th, 1956. This episode was the 52nd one in the series, and was based on a gripping short story of the same name, which was first published in Galaxy magazine, Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, January 1952 e- edition. The author of this fantastic story is J.T. McIntosh, a renowned Scottish sci-fi writer, and was adapted the show by the talented Ernest Canoy. the story is about a lighthouse keeper who is isolated from the rest of the world. It begins with a conversation between the captain of a spaceship and a significant passenger. The captain explains why the ship is on a long-duration voyage and the purpose of of the beam service. The beam service is a network of isolated posts that provide navigational aid in the distant parts of the solar system. The captain was explaining To a passenger, the importance of psychological studies in determining the size of the crew. He mentioned that the spaceship had more crew members than necessary due to the studies mandated requiring larger groups to prevent any crew member from becoming psychotic. The root of the problem is the extended periods of isolation and loneliness that come with long-duration missions in outer space. After the conversation between the captain and the passenger, the scene goes to the planet where the beamkeeper has been on station for a long period. So much so that he has succumbed to the mental illness previously described. The station keeper produces a long audio recordings of the activity that occurs on the station. While doing so, he talks to imaginary women whom he can see due to his hallucinations he is now experiencing. There is one woman whom plays she who plays chess with him. There is one who tries to kill him but to to no avail and the last one he sees is there to help him all the ladies he envisions are young and attractive his idea of a desirable woman manifests itself each time he meets a new woman the station keeper finally meets a real woman a psychiatrist who has been sent from the rescue ship to evaluate his mental state and report it back to the team At first, the Station Keeper mistakes her for just another young woman landing on the planet, but quickly realizes that she's a professional. With her help, the Station Keeper cooperates and is escorted off the planet. My Thoughts Hallucination Orbit was an interesting story. I've never heard of this author before, but may look into some of his other works. The main plot point seems to be what isolation in outer space can do to a human being as opposed to the effects on Earth. It seems like the author may have looked into some real psychological research on the topic of the effects of isolation on future space travel. It's interesting to note that during the early manned spaceflight era, there were studies done on the effects of isolation in outer space on future astronauts. Listen to the captain as he explains the effects of isolation on an individual in a three-minute soundbite of the same X-1 episode that follows.
2: Tonight... Hallucination Orbit, by J.T. McIntosh.
1: Mr. Chaka. Sir? Stand by to release a pickup rocket. Yes, sir. We'll break orbit in eight hours. Have damage control pull the rods on the number three pile. Check leakage. Yes, sir. Try and have the locks cleared of all unessential personnel when that pickup rocket comes back. There's no point in making trouble. I understand, sir. Pickup rocket away, sir. Very well. Take over, Mr. Chaka. I will be in my quarters if I'm wanted. Well, now then, Mr. Danbury, make yourself comfortable. Why, thank you, Captain. You care for a drink? Scotch in that bulb, bourbon in the other? No, thank you. I can't get quite
2: used to squirting liquor from a rubber bulb, as if I were oiling a bearing.
1: Well, you'd have a devil of a time pouring from a bottle in free fall. Well, how are you enjoying your trip? It's
2: very interesting. It's very nice of you to give me a lift. You know, it would have been eight months before another ship came along.
1: Oh, a lot more than that, with the main Pluto beam station out... Probably eight years.
2: Really? That long? I thought the whole run to Pluto was under
1: 18 months. Yes, it is, when the beam is running. You see, Mr. Danbury, we left Earth 27 days after the beam broadcast from Pluto station broke. We've been spaceborne close to six years. I suppose that's why you're on orbit around this planet. Picking up supplies or something, eh? Oh, oh. This is a standard pickup for the space beam service. We sent a rocket down to take off a man who's been the only inhabitant of this planet for... A little over two years.
2: Well, I expect he'll be glad to see you.
1: Well, there's no telling. (laughs) I know I would. After two years of duty, Mr. Danbury, you might not know anything. Oh, psychiatric troubles? Solitosis. It's from the Latin, solus, alone. Is that uh, much of a problem? Only in space. Here, look. Mm. Ah, look through that port. Seems empty. It is. It's empty of horizon, sky, sunlight, ground. It's empty of time. It's empty of people. You can't live in it too long without something happening. I see. But surely people have been alone before space flight. Oh, yes. But they have been on the same world with other people. And that seems to make a difference. You take a hermit on Earth. He may spend his life trying to escape civilization. Put him on a deserted world. He turns psychotic. Is there a cure? Oh, sure put him back with people. At least about 40 people. That seems to be the critical number. See, I have 48 in this ship's complement. I could run her with about 18. But if I tried to, I'd have psychos on my hands six months after blastoff.
2: But then every one of these men on the beam stations, they're all alone, aren't they? That's right. Well, then
0: they must
1: get it. They do. It wouldn't pay to leave more than 40 men on the space station. And less than 40 is...
0: I hope you've enjoyed my review of this classic creative drama. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I am planning on releasing a new episode of the series soon. In the meantime, please feel free to follow me on social media. My username on Instagram is Shutterbug1681. You can also check out my blog site at the1950sciencefictionpodcast.blog. Any feedback is always appreciated. Thank you.